welcome to the Harbour City Podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Durban, South Africa. Get to know us better at harbourcity.co.za or at Harbour City DBN on social media. We are currently going through the book of Galatians and we hope you enjoy this message. Hello everyone. Nice to see you all again. Peter will be speaking next week. I think it would be a great time to be here. But uh, Winston over there, do you want to give us a wave? Winston's also from 3C, which is the church that we came from. Um, and I know Winston's come to, to support us. So thanks for being here, Winston. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for Peter. I think uh, he lives out the message. And I think as he, he speaks next week, I think it's, uh, it's a good one to be at. So, um, But we're continuing with Galatians. I hope uh, your Galatians stamina is okay. I know we're only in chapter 2, um, but uh, we're getting to the end there. If uh, you read Galatians, you'll see we, we're right at the end um, of Galatians 2. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're at the end of the book. Uh, this is going to be our Christmas book. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Thank you. Love it. So, there's this one guy I know. Um, I've, uh, you know, we've become a bit of friends. He's a, a security guard at a, a place that I, I go to quite often. And um, I really enjoy engaging with him and chatting with him. Um, Number one, just because he's so confident, and I just love that about him. He's so confident. Um, He's also really built, like, I think his arms are bigger than my legs. And uh, so I'm always like, yo, looking good today. Your arms looking good. He's like, Jamie, you must work on yourself. If you're going to get to where you are going, you need to learn to work on yourself. And I'm like cool. <laughs> Is he tuning me? Um, but we, I mean, we chat about uh, a life and uh, about a whole bunch of things, and uh, I just enjoy him. I enjoy his perspective. I enjoy his having conversations. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he comes to me, and he's like quite dejected, and he says, Jamie, can I have a chat with you? So I'm like, sure. So, you know, we start chatting, and uh, this was the week when Ricky Rick passed away. Some of you will know who Ricky Rick is. He's a South African music artist uh, who committed suicide a couple of weeks ago. And he says to me, he says, Jamie, I'm really struggling with this. And I'm like, what part are you struggling with? And he says, well, Ricky Rick for me is a kind of hero. You know, he's the kind of guy you look up to. You think, look at this guy. He's given his best shot at life. He's got a talent. He's used it. He's become successful. He lives in a nice home. He lives in a nice area. He says, it's kind of like everything you hope for. And then you see someone like him commit suicide. He said, I don't know what to do with this. Like, what hope is there for me who's trying to better myself to try and improve my life, to try and move forward when you see someone who has done that and still not being happy. And, um, and I, th- I think in some ways, his dejection um, at that point is something that all of us feel at some point or another. That 
there are things that we chase after so often, um, and then when we get them, they are emptier than we thought they would be. Or we never seem to be able to live up to those things that we seem to be chasing after. And in some ways, we find them crushing. Um, It's like these things that we imagine will bring us happiness, things that we imagine will make us feel worthwhile, things that we think will give us meaning. And then when we get them, when we walk into this kind of vision of of what we think is going to make us a happy, satisfied person, uh, it just doesn't live up to what we expected. And I think this passage in Galatians that we're talking about, Galatians 2 verse 19 to 21, offers us some clues in, in how we navigate that space. How do we navigate the space when our hopes, when our aspirations, when our dreams, when our visions of success, whatever term we may use, how do we manage when that lets us down? How do we manage when we are crushed by the thing that we believe is going to give us life? And, um, and I think this passage offers us some clues. And so I want to talk a little bit about personal identity um, and, and how this passage relates a little bit to personal identity. So I, I know identity is a hot topic probably over the last uh, 20 years, so um, I'm not a sociologist, so I'll get this horribly wrong, but I'll quote Tim Keller here, so hopefully that's good enough. But Tim Keller says this, he says that personal identity can be summed up in two basic ideas, a sense of self and a sense of worth. So a sense of self is something of the overarching idea of who you see yourself to be in all circumstances. Uh, A sense of worth is how you find value or or how you find meaning or the value that you see in yourself. Um, And so a sense of self, uh, this kind of like one constant, like what is the one constant in your life, the one thing that you identify yourself to be? And I think today's day and age, there might be many things. I might see myself as my primary kind of like identity. I am a white male, you know. That could be mine. For some, it could be what they do. I am a doctor, or it could be the fact that I am a husband, or um, it could be the fact that I am a father, or I am an entrepreneur. Um, different kind of things that we identify as, that like this is helps me make sense of who I am. And I don't know about you, but in the last like five years, I don't know if you've noticed like the rise of like personality tests, strength finders. Anyone here done strength finders? Some of us. The Enneagram, like, it's okay, you can be honest. Don't be embarrassed by it. My wife loves that kind of thing, so I think I've done them all. Uh, About four Enneagram tests and uh, strength finders and uh, all of those things. But we like that because it helps us try and make sense of who we are. Uh, We're trying to understand something of our identity, of who we are, of of how we understand who we are in this world. Um, and that can be seen in many ways, as, as I've said. Probably for you, you may see yourself differently to me. Um, 
but it could be the fact that you are, I, I remember hearing someone say this, um, and they use their surname, I'll use mine, but they're like, I'm a tunent. This is who I am. Like, you know, so my family's been, this is the kind of people we are, this is what we live for, this is how we live our lives. I'm a tunent. It could be that you find your identity in your culture, in your country, in your race, in your job, in your uh, aspirations of who you want to be, in the fact that you are a husband, wife, father, child, etc., etc. We also find our identity in this thing that gives our life worth or meaning. Um, and traditionally, uh, as Killer goes on to say, the traditional way that cultures would find their, their value and, or their worth would be through self-sacrifice. So a lot of traditional cultures have self-sacrifice as the, like, this is how you live a meaningful life. Um, I don't know if you've watched any, like, classic Chinese films, but in the Chinese films, it's quite a little bit disheartening when you watch it because the hero always dies. Sorry to spoil the story. Go watch one. <laughs> now you know the end of the, the story. Why does the hero always die? Because like that is the ultimate sense of worth that your life has been given. Um, it has been given away. This idea of self-sacrifice. Um, if you've ever watched the movie Troy, uh, you might remember that time when the, when the Battle of Troy is about to happen and Hector rides out on his horse to his army out of the city of Troy and he says... He says, we live for Troy. He says, we honor the gods. You love your woman and you defend your country. Like this is how we find value. You know, we find value in our religion. We find value, you love your woman, you defend your country. These like kind of identifiers. This is how I find, if I do those things, then I am a good person. I have done well. I can see myself as having lived a valuable life. Um, and this is, the idea, this is part of the idea of how we find our identity. We find our identity in the things that help us make sense of who we are and in the things that give our lives value, that give our lives uh, meaning. But opposed to like that kind of more ancient idea, I think a more common idea is that we find identity not in self-sacrifice but in self-actualization, you know. Um, and so... You know, like, define who you are. Who do you want to be? Who are you becoming? Um, you know, and so we go on journeys. We travel the world. We try and live our best life and try and define ourselves in a way that makes us feel happy. Now, what's interesting here about this passage, to jump into this passage, what's interesting here is that for a Jew, the law would have been like the defining mark of their identity. The law was the defining mark, this defining idea that as opposed to every other nation in the world, they were the one nation that received the law from God. They were the one. They didn't, this wasn't them trying to just come up with a better idea of how to live, a better idea of how to structure society. Like their defining feature was that we received the law from God. God wrote it on tablets of stone. 
We, Moses spoke with God as a man speaks uh, to someone face to face. This was their defining mark, the law. And then what does Paul say? Like this central idea, this central tenet to their value system. This like, we've got the law, we live it out, we obey the law, we're not like those heathen nations, we're not like those pagan nations, we're not like those wild brutes out there, out in the world. We are the people that have the law, we live by the law, we, we, we live it out. Um, and, and what happens here, what's so interesting here is that Paul says this, he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. It's a fascinating verse. I love that verse in the context of the fact that the law was so central to their identity, so central to who they are, that here is Paul saying, through the law, I died to the law. This thing that I've put so much hope in, so much value in, what Paul goes on to, Paul says in Philippians, he says, I have tried to do this more than anyone else. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. I am a Jew of Jews. According to righteousness, according to law, I have done everything. But through the law, he dies to the law. This thing that he puts so much hope in, he ends up dying to it. Now, what you learn from Paul what he says over and over, over and over again. It's the reason why he dies to the law is because the law is crushing. It is crushing. The, the, the fact that the more you try to do it, the more you realize you fail at doing it. The harder you try to get it right, the more you realize how much you are getting wrong. The, the more you give yourself to it, the more you realize you're not able to live up to the standard that it calls you to. And so Paul says it's crushing. The problem with the law that he found over and over again was that the more he aspired to it, the more he found it crushed him. What I find interesting, we'll come back to this idea now, but what I find interesting about this idea of, of the law being so, so valuable is, is you see the people that are celebrated in Jewish society at that time were rabbis, were teachers of the law. They, they were like the heroes of the, that time. You, know, if you can imagine like celebrity culture, um, like who, who are the celebrities? Who would have been the high priests? Who would have been the rabbis? And uh, what's Interesting is that so often the people that we value, the people that we give celebrity status to in, in some ways, highlights what our values are, what we're pursuing, what we regard as so important. Now, one of the things I find interesting uh, in our society, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, I run a business with my, my brother and so have been a little bit exposed to that world in, in the last couple of years. But uh, one of the things that I find so interesting is that when business CEOs get paid high salaries, and I'm anti most of that thing, everyone is an outcry. But when Messi gets paid an incredibly high salary, no one even cares. It's not even an issue. It's like, give that guy more money. Like, let a club, oh, what are they going to pay for him? 200 million euros, give it. More, more. We want him. You know, like, spend the money. 
You know, when the Kardashians earn crazy amount of money for like one Instagram post, a million dollars to post one Instagram post, we're like, give it, give it, pay them, pay them for that post. I want to be in that post. You know, our, our celebrity culture in some ways, it shows what we value. You know, we value this idea of these like, beautiful individuals, these super talented individuals, these uh, celebrity kind of status idea. We're so happy for, for people to pay whatever they will to those people, but don't, don't pay that much to someone running an MPO and a, and a business or anything. And I'm anti, you know, the salaries that some people get paid, so I mean, I'm not defending that. But I'm saying it's just so insightful how we fight one but not the other. And part of it is because of our values. What do we value? We value entertainment. Um, I don't know about you, but what fascinates me about the kids is uh, when I was growing up, people wanted to be engineers or accountants. Now you chat to younger teenagers. What does everyone want to be? YouTube stars which fascinates me. I chatted to one kid, what is your dream job? I want to unbox stuff on YouTube. I'm like, wait a minute, that's your dream job? You want to unbox Amazon boxes on YouTube? for? Um, that's, that's their aspiration. Our culture right now Values celebrityism, values fame, values success, values serious talent, values beauty. What's interesting about, I think, this passage is that if you think about that today, is that those kind of things end up crushing us. They end up crushing us when we don't achieve them. I don't know what happened with Ricky Rick, and I don't want to presume I know. But in some ways, his success couldn't have been as fulfilling as everyone hoped success would be. When Paul says, for through the law, this very thing I hoped would give me life, this very thing I hoped would make my life meaningful, this very thing I hoped would make my life fulfilled, when this thing crushes me, I have to die to it so that I can live for God. I don't know what you and I need to die to, but you and I need to die to some things in our lives, some things that we imagine are going to be the things that are going to bring fulfillment, meaning, the things that we hope are going to make our life feel better. I, five years ago, had to die to my idea of ministry. When I was in varsity, I imagined that I was going to leave varsity, I was going to work for a church for two years, and I was going to plant a church at 23, and then when I planted a church, it was going to be like uber successful, and uh, there would be like a thousand people, okay, I'm being serious here, so I'm sorry, this is uh, my vulnerable vision of my best life, but uh, like, that's what I imagined my life would be like, um, and then I got to 23 and that did not happen, and 24, and 25, and 26, and eventually some guy came to me, and he was being really nice, but it was like really wounding, 
He said, Jamie, he says, in your 20s, people have a lot of grace for you because they see your potential. He was like, but in your 30s, people don't care about your potential anymore. They only care about what you can do. And I was like, oh, brutal. And in my 30s, I stepped out of ministry five years ago. Um, The vision of everything I imagined my life would be was crushed. The what I thought I was giving my life to seemed to evaporate before my eyes. The very thing that I thought would give my life meaning, value, had like disintegrated. And it was crushing. It was brutal. I went through a brutal period of, uh, of, of watching the vision of my best life disintegrate from my view. Um, and I fast forward a few years forward, and uh, it was honestly one of the best things that happened to me. One of the pain, most painful moments, but one of the best things that happened to me. Because through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And I had substituted ministry into that phrase. For through ministry, I died to ministry so that I could live for God. And I don't know what it is for you, but it might be through success, it might be crushing, and you will have to die to it so that you can live for God. For through my vision of beauty, I had to die to that so that I could live for God. Through whatever it is, I think is going to give me value. I die to that so that I could live for God. What's often more painful is not just when success crushes us because we don't achieve it. It's when success crushes us because we do achieve it. I don't know if you ever saw an interview by Penny Haynes. Penny Haynes was the South African silver medalist in in breaststroke in the Olympics, uh, was uh, the highest, like, swimming medalist at the time for for South Africa, got her silver medal in breaststroke, uh, and she gives this interview a whole bunch of of years later where she says the the couple of years after that time were the most brutal years of her whole life. Like, what do you do after you've won a silver medal at the Olympics? Like, how do you beat that? You either go for gold, and if you know you're not going to get gold, like, you've got nothing better to live for if your identity is being a swimmer. You've reached your peak. Everything from there is downhill. Uh, And for her, she talks in this interview about how crushing that was the years afterwards, seeing that this thing that she had worked so hard for in her youth, that when she got as close to gold as she was ever going to be, realizing it wasn't as satisfying that she thought. Uh, Tim Keller quotes a lady called Cynthia Hamill, and she writes an article, and she talks about staying in New York, and uh, one of the things that happens when, says when you live in New York is uh, eventually if you've lived there long enough, you will know some people that become uber successful. It's just one of those cities. So if you've lived there long enough, you, you live long enough to see some of your peers just reach incredible heights of success. And she says this about some people she knew. 
She says, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed morning after morning. Each of them, because they... uh, Sorry. And then the morning after, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened. And guess what? Nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionments turned them howling and insufferable. And she goes on to say in her essay, I think when God wants to play a really rotten, practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Um, obviously, we don't think that part is true of God. But like, it's such an insightful thing that sometimes when you get the thing you very hope for, that you think is going to form you into being the perfect version of yourself, the thing that you think is going to create the best your best life, when you get it, it is so often crushing. When I thought of this passage, I thought, you know, often what has to happen to us is in order for us to pursue God, we have to have our visions of our best life crushed. We have to die to the law so that we can live for God. And then the real trick, the real key, the real part of this passage is verse 20. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says this, after that verse, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what Tim Keller goes on to say as he says this, he says, he says, the only way we are able to find joy, the only way we can find complete satisfaction is when our identity goes onto something that doesn't demand us to be everything. The only way we can find identity, uh, that we can find that true joy is when the identity is given, when we don't have to earn it. And he says what, what makes Christianity so powerful is that we are given a new identity. We die with Christ to all these things. We die with Christ to the passions of this world. We die with Christ to the visions and the hopes and the aspirations of the good life. We die with Christ. We identify ourselves with his act so that we can be resurrected with him. We can find new life in Jesus. And this is a new life that is not earned. It's a life that is given. It's what Paul goes over and over, says in Galatians, that the life we now live is one of grace, one that is given freely and completely to us by God. 
that our identity is seen as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we can strive to get. It's not something that would be taken away by you having a bad day. It's not something that we have to live up for before we can be acknowledged as it. It is something that is given by God's grace. That you and I are sons and daughters of God. That life does not come through us earning it. It comes by us being given to it because of the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul says something really powerful in verse 23. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, you know, if righteousness could be earned by the law, then Christ died in vain. And he's basically saying this. He's saying, if there is a way to receive life outside of Christ, then Christ died for vain. Then why did Jesus die at all? Why don't we just all pursue that alternate way, that alternate vision of life? If there was a way of doing that outside of Christ, then Paul says, Jesus died in vain. He died meaninglessly. What is Paul highlighting? He's highlighting to us how Jesus is our hope. Our hope. Jesus and his grace is the perfect identity. The one that frees us from our striving. So that when we are ultra successful, we don't become big headed by it. Because we understand God's grace. And when we fail, we are not crushed by it. Because we understand God's grace. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Uh, This is our true identity. For through success, I died to success so that I might live for God. Through my vision of the good life, I died to that vision of the good life so that I might live for God. It is no longer I who live. I have died with Christ, but Christ who lives in me. Can we stand? There's not a lot of you in this room that are probably old enough to have watched the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, but it's, it really was a great movie in our time. Um, and it's a movie based on a true story of uh, Eric Little um, and another guy, or well, in fact a couple of other guys, and most of us forget the other guy's names. We all remember Eric Little's name. Eric Little was a, uh, a missionary um, and... <laughs> uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is that his, his sister's chastising him because he's getting ready to run the Olympics. And she says to him, she says to him, Eric, do not forget your calling. God has called you to be a missionary. And he says, yes, but he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure on me. And it's just such a wonderful, freeing um, statement that. But that's not, not the point I wanted to make. The, 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 the most powerful part of that story is that he goes into the Olympics to run a specific race. And then he's, he, he discovers that that race is to be run on a Sunday. 
and like us here, uh, for him, this, this Sunday was, was the Sabbath, it was a holy day, it was a, a day in which to, to take time to get perspective on life, the kind of perspective that uh, Jamie's just given us. And he chose to therefore forego that race and run another race. And one of the other guys the movie was about, whose name we can never remember, um, he, he, um, he ran the race and just before he runs it he's in the change room and he says all my life I feared not winning this race and now I fear winning it because he realizes Jamie had said once I've won this that my entire life has been about this I'm 24 years old now what and he was contemplating the emptiness of his life after the, uh, the Olympics and so just to, to encourage you to really embrace what, what uh, Jamie spoke on today, that our primary identity is not in our gender, not in our race, not in our family's name. Our primary identity is that we are children of God. We are in Christ. We're saved by Him. We're created by Him. And we are His. That, that is your primary identity. You know what I find fascinating about the last two years? This COVID's been brutal. don't know about you guys, but for many of us, going through COVID has really shattered our worlds in many ways. Shattered our vision of our worlds, shattered the vision of our lives. Um, for some, it's been really crushing, really difficult. Sometimes God in His grace crushes our dreams so that we can turn from our dreams to Him. Maybe some of you are struggling. Maybe we can close our eyes. I want to pray for us. Maybe some of you are really struggling. Maybe your vision of your good life, your vision of your best life, the very thing you thought would bring you value and meaning has just seemed to slip out of your grasp. And I want to pray that even this moment, as it feels so difficult and so painful, that God would give you new hope, not just for the dreams to be at work, but new hope for your life to find its meaning in Christ. So Lord, I pray for every one of us here tonight. I think all of us at some point go through some crushing in life. Some crushing, some crushing moment that reminds us that where our true identity is not in that thing, it's in you, Jesus. That I am not first father or son or male or white or business person or successful or rich, or whatever it is that we've made our identity. I'm not that first. I'm first child of God. That you are my greatest vision. And I pray, Lord, for every single one of us here this evening, that you would help us to turn our eyes to you, turn our eyes off the things that we have so hoped would bring us meaning and happiness and joy, and turn them to you, the fountain of hope, the fountain of life. 
the one who sets us free, who gives us everlasting joy. For some of us, it feels like the pain has been, the pain of the crushing has been so great that you can't imagine hope on the other side. But I pray, Lord, right now for those that there would be hope that would arise and it would be hope because they would see you, Jesus, your grace, your grace that you love us despite ourselves. You love us. Why don't you come and breathe on us now by your Spirit, Lord. Breathe your life, your breath. Breathe your Holy Spirit. Won't you help us to be centered on you in Jesus' name?